This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and this week on the podcast I'm talking to Debbie Bugs about what it is like being on General Synod. Some of you may know that I, along with many others, was recently elected to General Synod and I'm now hoping to find out what it is I've let myself in for. So I began just by asking Debbie to tell me what she does in the rest of her life, uh, where she's based and how long she's been on General Synod. In real life, I'm Director of Finance at Pilgrim's Friends Society. We do care homes for elderly Christians and independent living schemes. I'm in the London Diocese and I've been on General Synod since 2015. And do you find that... um you feel like you're really representing your diocese at Synod or do you feel like you're more there to represent yourself and and you know the person that you are is is what you've been elected for? Yes I think the latter so I'm I've clearly been voted in by people who know me well some people who know me some people who've read my um, election address but uh, I think I would have difficulty in using very rural illustrations, for instance, for, yeah. for something. So naturally, I'm going to be more representative of London than I would be of um, somewhere somewhere sort of in the countryside. Mm-hmm. So that happens naturally. Yes, it's, it's the place where you live. It's the place where you worship. You understand a bit more about the, the pressures and the concerns there. That makes a lot of sense. My main reason for wanting to do this podcast, Debbie, is so that you can tell me all about how to be on Synod. Uh, I, uh, you know, was just elected like everyone else a few weeks ago. And since then, I feel like my inbox has been full with this sort of avalanche of meetings. And my diary, which was already reasonably full, I mean, it looks terrifying for November. Just give us an idea. What... I mean, there's a lot of things one can get involved in, aren't there, on Synod and, and around Synod. What, what things do you think is important to be involved in? I think it's really important to be involved in one of the Synod groups. So for me, that is the Evangelical Group on General Synod. That means that you get, you can rely on other people to do briefings for you on complex bits of legislation they'll tell you the salient points and that will save you reading through pages and pages of legislation and then commentary on the legislation that is brilliant i like that because they're already so i've been on diocesan synod for a few years and we get enormous amounts of paperwork for that and i don't understand a lot of it and I, you know i'm not a lawyer i'm not a financial person and having someone else i trust say to me this is good or this isn't or what matters so that's a really helpful thing so join one of those groups what else if you have a diocesan group that meets beforehand 
and it's at a reasonable time for you, do head along to that, at least to try it out. That means that you meet your diocesan reps, which is great. You get um, to meet your bishop again. And again, they will do a quick run through of the agenda. And that is really useful. You might decide a year in that you don't need two of those, in which case that's fine, you can drop it. So at this stage, I would say join in as much as you can and then work out what is useful um, going forwards. That's really helpful. So I've been invited to light refreshments, I believe, with the bishop in a, in a week or so with all of the newly elected representatives. So most of, well, I say most of them, several of them are people that I know, but there are quite a few who I don't. So I think that will be a good chance just to at least know who everybody else is um, and have a chance of that. And um, there, there was a, a sort of attempt, I think, to try and make a meeting uh, for everyone in the diocese and we literally could not find a date to have that sort of um, going through the agenda kind of meeting but I know there are people who can do that. How much time do you find? So you have a you have a full-time job outside of this? How, yes. how much of a time commitment is being on General Synod for you Debbie? There's the actual days of being there then there will be some meetings preparing beforehand so for instance the eggs one um, those are now normally on zoom so that that's helpful they, they they're an evening one I have I have been to a day um, day kind of briefing before which is helpful if they're on on a Saturday and then I will spend maybe seven hours reading the papers but being selective in what I read. So I'll generally have a flick through most things, but we'll spend more time on things that I think I can contribute to. So for me, that would be budgets or um, finance stuff. Yeah, for me, probably not the same thing. And that's helpful. And do you, are you involved in anything that happens sort of in between? So most years there, there are two sessions. February and July and then this sort of November one it's a bit weird that we have this year and possibly in other years it's almost all of the work that you do sort of focused around those two weeks and preparing for those two weeks are there any commitments that you have that would come in between times as well yes the majority of my work is focused around the group of sessions but I also sit on the Archbishop's Council's Audit Committee, so that is three or four meetings a year, half a day with maybe a couple of hours preparation beforehand. And I sit, I've sit. i been sitting on a working group looking at the five guiding principles, so again that's taken up a bit more time. And I'm also on the panel of chairs, so that just means arriving a couple of hours early to be briefed on on the group of sessions. Yes, yeah, so there is a bit more. You then would chair some of the debates? That's right, some of the um, actual sessions, which is quite nerve-wracking, but good fun. Terrifying! Absolutely terrifying. Are you given very clear instructions on how to do that? Yes, and I'm assisted by a legal expert and a person from Church House who spots who's, who's there, who's got their hands up, and reminds me of what their name is so it's a team effort but it is good fun 450 people you can't possibly know who they all are you get to know one or two familiar faces wow 
so that i mean that's quite a lot of of different things that that you do and we just had i i just had an email sort of asking me to name up to five things that i was interested in or had expertise in and now i'm slightly nervous that that's going to result in an email back saying right now we need you to do this 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 and this for us i mean is 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 it possible to be on synod and, and not do any extra committees or responsibilities absolutely yes you can just you can just come, come along and listen or make speeches um but it's much more enjoyable i think if you are involved in other committees um because you get to understand the workings of the national church institutions a lot better that way you start to form relationships with other general synod members church house staff um so i would say it's really useful if you can possibly spare the time to to get onto one or two working working groups or committees Okay, well, I will bear that in mind. Yeah, that form is really useful for um, the appointments committee. So please, I would ask all your um, listeners to tick the boxes. And where it says be brief in your previous experience, yeah, do be brief, but um, do put them, give them some information so that if you are a specialist in psychiatry, then they can put you on a, a group that's looking at medical ethics or something like that. Excellent. Well, if they're, if they're, putting a group together to look at the interpretation of the Song of Songs, I, I will be there for that committee. Um, Excellent. I, I, have, I have done my best to be full and honest and brief on that form, so we shall see what happens. Um, one of the things that I was not fully prepared for in all the sort of stuff that has come about being on Synod, which I am quite excited about but genuinely was not prepared for, is that uh, we get to go to church with the Queen, Her Majesty's health permitting. So before this synod is, is opened, I think that's right, there's a service in Westminster Abbey at which she will be in attendance. And then there's a, a sort of official thing where, where she then opens the synod. Is that right? Yes. So Westminster Abbey, and then she comes and does a speech at Westminster House and the Archbishop uh, responds with a, a speech as well and we all pl clap very politely but the most important question I have Debbie is is what should I wear for going to church with the Queen um, I suppose possibly think winter wedding or uh, speech day so I have a I'll, very I'll... nice hat which I bought for a winter wedding a few years ago can I wear that I would have thought so yes so I I would wear a suit and a warm coat, um, but yeah, something reasonably smart. But of course, if you if that if if you don't want to, then that's absolutely fine. There's not someone. There's not a bouncer on the door. Okay, good. That's really helpful to know. Um, I should say to our listeners who don't know this: if you're ordained, there are very specific instructions about what you have to wear. And if you're in the military services or religious communities you're you're given specific instructions but for lay people it's quite vague um so i yes i've been somewhat exercised trying to work out uh, what is already in my wardrobe or what i might need to make uh in preparation for that good and we do uh, pray for the health of her majesty obviously and hope uh, that she will be well enough uh, to come to synod i shall certainly look forward to that mm -hmm. me too
Hi, I'm Lee Gatiss, the Director of Church Society, and I want to tell you about a new book. It's called Same Words, Different Worlds. Do Roman Catholics and Evangelicals Believe the Same Gospel? It's by Leonardo de Gerico, who really knows his stuff on all of this, and it examines the ongoing gulf between evangelical theology and Roman Catholicism. This is an ongoing issue, of course. Several high-profile Anglicans have left the Church of England for Rome in the last year or two, including, most recently, Bishop Michael Nazirali. One recent convert is even said to have persuaded two dozen others to join him in going over to Rome. This, of course, is utterly lamentable, because as bad as things may be in the Church of England, it still officially proclaims the biblical gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, as seen in the 39 Articles and, of course, the Anglican homilies. Some people say Rome now accepts these doctrines too, but do they mean the same things by these words as we do? Or are they proclaiming a false gospel using the same or similar words? Well, Leonardo de Chirico's book on all this is a challenging read, which sets out the crucial doctrinal differences between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, especially those hiding within some apparent verbal similarities. It is a provocative counterpoint to the sometimes naive ecumenical thrust of much modern discussion on interchurch relations. Now, because I was willing to say that on the book itself... Uh, the publisher, IVP, have very kindly sent us at Church Society a number of free copies of the book to give away. So we're going to have a competition. And if you'd like to enter to win one of these excellent books, all you have to do is email me via director at churchsociety.org and tell me who your favourite Protestant reformer is and why. Who is your favourite Protestant reformer and why? The competition closes at the end of this month, so send that email now to be in with a chance of a free copy of Leonardo de Chirico's Same Words, Different Worlds. Do Roman Catholics and Evangelicals believe the same gospel? So we talked a bit about some of the, the mechanics of what's involved and what sort of groups to be in and things to do. What about the issues? So we know about some of the big issues that are facing the Church of England at the moment. Uh, we were talking about living in love and faith in last week's uh, podcast episode, and no doubt we shall talk about that again in, in future episodes. But that isn't the only thing that Synod will be discussing. What, what kinds of things come up on the agenda for General Synod? A variety of things like um, diversity, attracting more of a diverse representation of the population into um, ordained ministry and um, as bishops. Um, safeguarding is a big issue, clergy well-being, um, uh, women vicars and bishops and the five guiding principles. Uh, are still very live which you would expect um, and also quite rightly evangelism and discipleship which are key to what we do this time round we've got a debate on the poverty gap so again some social justice issues as well 
it seems to me quite often synod is talking about those very big issues either within the church or, or wider society the poverty gap or um evangelism or discipleship or those kind of things when synod discusses those things and comes to decisions about them or agrees to you know sign statements about them or those kind of things what power does synod actually have what can it do about those kinds of things what power does it have over dioceses for example or um staff at church do you, do you see what i mean mm. i think it can feel to me sometimes as though certainly it doesn't synod it feels a bit like this we talk about things and we all say this or that or the other but we are not the people implementing them usually and sometimes it feels a bit like we've just said it to make ourselves feel better i don't know tell me what you think about that so the things that general synod actively does and has the power to do are doing ecclesiastical legislation so for instance um, what vestments have to be worn when or do vestments have to be worn at all um, rules for uh, burial grounds fees for marriages that sort of thing where we actually do make law of the land then the other thing where we have some clout is how we use our resources so we approve budgets um, so we direct how money is spent within the Church of England um, so those are the two major things where we do actually have p power but then as if you like chaplain to the nation it is right I think that we have a voice on social issues and one thing that we did in the last group of sessions was to urge a reduction in the stakes on um, betting machines in, in betting shops. And that was a really good way of adding our voice to the voice of Parliament. And of course, we can't take all the credit for the change, but that, that law was, was changed. I mean, that is really exciting, is it, to think there are things that, that that synod is deciding that have direct impact in the church, but also potentially have significant impact on the nation as a whole. And obviously, there is some overlap, isn't there? There are some of the bishops who are in the House of Bishops who also sit in the House of Lords, and they sit in the House of Lords in their own right, but nonetheless the sort of debates and discussions in, in Synod and in the rest of the church must have some influence in the way that they think about uh, those issues in Parliament. So that is really exciting. And, and I think it's worth saying that often there are things where people say, well, why hasn't the church said anything on this? Or why hasn't the church, you know, spoken out about that? And we don't have to make statements just because people want us to. But there are definitely times out there where it would feel strange if the church hadn't said anything about that. So I was just thinking in the last synod when the Windrush scandal was coming out. And I think it would have been really odd if the church hadn't said or done anything around its own position in our history of racism or slavery or um, or those kind of things. So synod may be a good, good way of 
saying this is what the church thinks and we you know we've got together and, and agreed that this has happened or needs to be said or should be done yes so we've had debates on knife crime brexit um and other topical matters and these are really good ways where evangelicals can stand up and say something winsome and positive um because quite often we can be seen as the party that just says no or says what we don't like about what the church of england is doing yes we don't always want to be the bad guys i mean we don't ever want to be the bad guys but those are places where we can be demonstrably seen not to be the bad guys so jason roach for example we did the the beautiful video uh, not just uh, a beautiful story but also uh, was it called one i think the cec video on race but he is also involved on general synod and um those issues there and i think it's really great that there is somebody like him who can speak out and be an evangelical but speaking out on those issues that will have much broader agreement in synod absolutely yes great now i noticed that there are also things that aren't um debates there are things that are presentations and workshops and all kinds of things what what sort of issues might be covered in in some of those other meetings so for presentations those look very much like a speech from the front with an opportunity for questions so (laughs) we're always told ask questions don't make a speech Um, but that helps to shape policy um, and maybe to bring some practical considerations into how something's going to be done later. Who would typically give the presentations? Yes, so often that will be uh, an output from a working group on something and quite often the bishop will lead and they may call in external speakers as well. So I think before on evangelism, a couple of speakers from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity came in um, and and spoke. Workshops, um, well, those are often done at York where an afternoon is set aside for workshops and you go and into a room with other participants and discuss round tables possibly again with someone on a particular working group so they can um, hear what other people are thinking on the matter. And those are again are a good way to um, get to know other people's points of view and to um, articulate your point of view. Yes, because I was going to ask how how do I as, as one person among the 450 or so that are there get to have my say? And so that's interesting that the presentations and certainly the workshops is one avenue I guess in which you can be heard in terms of feeding back into some of the issues that are being considered but obviously also you can speak in the debates how, how does that work when you've got um, you know you were saying that you were uh, sometimes you chair those debates do, do you have 450 people all clamoring at the bit to have their voice heard and how do you decide who gets to speak and and when so on some debates you get loads of people who want to put in to speak um, and therefore well as part of that people will put in a request to speak where they say name diocese um, they'll say if it's a maiden speech or not 
um, and they'll do a little summary of what they want to say and what their area of expertise is. So those are so helpful and please do fill those in well because that really helps the the those of us on the platform to uh, structure the debate well with um, people speaking for and against um, using the expertise in the room and then we try to get a balance between north province south province um, laity clergy um, and bishops some people have a, almost a right to speak if they stand up um, so those are the uh, heads of the house of laity and clergy and also the archbishops um, so you might find that you write three speeches for various debates and only get to um, do one and it may have, you've may have written five minutes worth of speech and you have to then cut it down to uh, three minutes if the time limit goes down so be flexible um, and say say what do fill in the form well so that you give the chair of the debate as much help as possible to make it a, a great a great debate if i am the sort of person which which i am who is much better off the cuff than preparing in advance and not just because i'm lazy although we may take that as red but i think often it will be in hearing what other people are saying and hearing that that it will become really clear to me actually i do want to say something about this or i do want to add something is there a, an option to do that sort of during a debate to say actually i haven't put in a thing but i still feel like i have something i want to add or or have i missed my chance if i didn't uh no you haven't missed your chance and so you'd stand up with the other people who want to speak um when the last speech finishes and um you might get called uh i think if you there are some people who've built a reputation of being very insightful um, and concise and so so sometimes they will get picked because the chair knows that they will um, make an excellent contribution you're more likely to uh, get called I guess if not many other people are standing um, and sometimes if you're speaking against a motion which um, is I won't say a motherhood and apple pie motion but something that you won't you know put most people agree with then then that might be your opportunity as well okay okay well I won't rely on it but it's good to know that if I suddenly find myself burning with passion with words that I have to come out then I can at least have a, a chance possibly um, yep. to have a go at that and is there anything, and we've talked about all the different kinds of things that, that Synod does debate, is there anything that, that is off limits uh, it, for General Synod? Um, I don't think there is, but the Business Committee have got a queue of um, motions for debates from Synods, diocesan Synods, from uh, private members' motions, so things aren't off limits but um, you do need to get 100 signatures if you want to do your own motion before that gets considered and then the business committee will try to fit things in so I think that's where where the um, constraint is really it's time rather than 
subjects. And of course, if you do want to raise an issue, you can always do that by writing a question um, for someone to answer. So maybe the House of Bishops, um, maybe a particular committee. As long as it's a question that can be answered in a factual way rather than a hypothesis or a, an opinion, then that's valid. So you, even if it's has the House of Bishops considered um, issuing everyone with uh, a bar of chocolate at Synod, that... <laughs> that, that I'm going to would... make that my maiden speech. Well, no, that would be a written question that goes into the question pack. But then you have got an opportunity to stand up and ask a supplementary. But again, those get timed out as well. So there's 100 questions, 200 questions, and we maybe get through 70. Okay, yes. And it's the business committee who are in charge of, of putting things on the agenda and organising the sort of order of questions and that kind of thing. Somebody presumably has to decide, let's not have the chocolate question first. <laughs> yes, uh, I think Church House probably work out um, how to uh, do the questions and they try to, I think, do the House of Bishops first and then other committees afterwards. Well, Debbie, um, you obviously haven't hated it so much in that you were willing to stand again. And indeed, as you talk about it, you genuinely seem to really enjoy a lot of this process. Can you tell us what have you really enjoyed about being on Synod? And also maybe what have you found hard or frustrating? Uh, yes, I've loved the buzz um, and the being it sort of there in on the action, you know, debating legislation. Um, some of it's quite boring, but actually it needs to be done. It's, it's great to be there with a group of um, friends, so you get to know the eggs group really well um yes it's it's just there's plenty on and you can do as much or as little as you like and the more you do i think the more enthused you you get maybe i'm a general synod nerd um what what don't i like um i don't think i've hated anything occasionally the atmosphere gets quite sour in the chamber and that's quite difficult when there's a bit of kind of sniping or people um, scoring political points that that's uncomfortable and clearly that's not how you'd expect a, um, a group of Christians to behave either. No it was very interesting when I was putting together my election address and and, and so on and I talked to one of the people uh, in Litchfield Diocese, who's been on Synod for a long time, Penny Allen, who we we don't have a lot in common theologically, but I know her a bit. We've you know been on various groups together and things, and she said, "I just I just need you to know, Ros, there will be times where you will be really shocked by the way that some people talk." And yeah, I I think I'm hoping it doesn't get like the House of Commons, where the Speaker regularly has to tell people off for for being rude to each other but I do think there is something about the issues that that we really care about and you know when you're talking about the church there are issues that you really care about and and that makes things very heated and sometimes people spill over into ungodliness in that sort of way so I shall see how that pans out but yeah what things at this point would you be asking 
our listeners to pray for the new synod? Firstly, I think give thanks for the number of people who were willing to stand for election and for voters who were clearly happy to engage with the voting process, read um, lots of election addresses and preferably make decisions about who to vote for. So praise God for the level of engagement. Um, Pray that... uh, I think the new the new members of General Synod would settle in quickly, find their feet, and um, find the support structures that that they need, um, that we all need. Pray that General Synod would make good, um, godly, and wise decisions in the way that we um, allocate resources and deal with some tricky issues. Um, and then I think, as we've just mentioned, pray for godliness, I think, amongst all the members so that we would bring honour to God, not just by what we do, but how we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do pray for Debbie, do pray for me and pray uh, indeed for all those who will be serving on General Synod uh, in the next five years. If you are a church society member, do look out for an email coming shortly for a particular way in which you can get involved in supporting and praying for General Synod over these next five years. Thank you, Debbie, so much for coming and sharing uh, your experiences and your wisdom on that. Thank you. Don't forget that if you want to enter the competition, you need to email director at churchsociety.org and tell Lee the name of your favourite Protestant reformer. Personally, I'm a big fan of Catherine Parr, but but you may have other choices uh, that you want to suggest. Make sure to get your email into him by the end of this month, November 2021, to be in with a chance of winning. Also, just to let you know that the email has already gone out about our church society plans for supporting General Synod members. If you've not seen that email yet, do get in touch with the office and we'd love to tell you more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.